Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects podcast. And today, Chris and I have got a, a hugely interesting guest, and we're talking about security. And Chris, this is a longtime friend of yours that we're interviewing. Yeah, longtime friend, longtime friend of the podcast too. We've we you know we've worked together on and off over the years. Um, so uh, you know, Steve Ravel is our guest. Uh, he works at Microsoft now. Um, I think he's a technical specialist in the healthcare space, focusing specifically mm. on security. You know, so one of our topics that we really like to talk about is security, and also. Uh, it's topical with customers, I think, you know, um, mm. but I, I think there's also IT pros, there's a lot of confusion, right? Because I think we're crossing mm. over um, where security is no longer just the responsibility of the security team, right? Or the yeah. infosec team. I think security is everyone's responsibility now, but mm. I think sometimes some of the concepts and, 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 and things um, confuse people. And so, you know, we're trying to uh, unconfuse <laughs> people, debunk yes. some of the yes. myths as well. So. Uh, really good conversation, you know, touching on 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 EDR as a starting point, you know, mm -hmm. endpoint detection and response. What does that even yeah. mean? Is it just cool antivirus or with a new name or is it something useful? Um, and, and kind of just working up the chain, right, as to, you know, how all of these things plug in um, and, and tie together and, and, and really can kind of help with zero trust. And we talk about mm -hmm. zero trust all the time. And I think everyone's sick of hearing the word zero trust, but it's important to to talk about this and 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 to for us to change the mindset that um we don't have a perimeter anymore right the traditional perimeter of a network yeah. with firewalls the outside is bad the inside is good that concept is 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 gone and, and so i think it's important for us to start shifting mm. our mind to understand a little bit more about you know let's 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 treat everyone as as an untrusted source, right? And and, and mm -hmm. do what we can. And um, and so really interesting discussion. I certainly uh, learned a lot about um, uh, the inner workings and how everything kind of fits together. And some little nuggets, I think about, you know, things that are coming, um, which, which I picked up on as well uh, with um, Defender for Identity and MCAS and, and things like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, you know, ultimately the utopia is, you know, rolling all of the signaling up uh, and all of the alerting up into, into something like Sentinel, right? And, and, and I think we, you know, my, my opinion and uh, is that it's that is a an aspiration for many organizations. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unattainable, but mm -hmm. certainly it's not something that you just go. We have we have a sim now, and, and now we have all of our stuff in one place. Like I think it's something that you again you work up to. So um, mm -hmm. definitely missed Warren today too, unfortunately. But uh, you know, uh, myself uh, and and. The, the ever smooth Nick. Uh, so yeah, we hope you enjoy enjoy the podcast and uh, we look forward to to doing another one soon. Yeah, so one of the things that's nice is that we, we managed to address the, where do I start, where do I go and where can I potentially end up without spending a fortune? And with that and a bunch of opinions from us, which is always necessary, we hope that you enjoy the show. Today we're talking to Steve and Steve's been a friend of the podcast for a long time. Today we finally have him on the show. So Steve, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's definitely been something that's been in the works for, man, a while. I'm going to say at least yeah. five years and, yeah, yeah. you know, conceived around a, a, a pizza table somewhere in Chicago at one point in time, um, having some was great pizza. It was. So yeah. yeah, this has definitely been something we've been talking about for a while. So super excited to 
to kind of finally have you have you on. Um, and so, and it's a big topic today. I think um, you know a big topic. We'll we'll see how deep we can get into it. But wanting to talk a little bit about um, EDR and and Microsoft security and um, and the confusion all, around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there is. I think there's there there is confusion. You know, I I continue to have a lot of conversations with customers around. Microsoft security, um, a lot of them are very interested in this, obviously very top of mind right now. You know, you can't um, turn on the news uh, or look at the media, let's say that, because we're not 1950 yeah. anymore, um, without seeing something about a breach. Um, I actually got a letter mm -hmm. in the mail yesterday from Denton County, Texas, uh, letting me know that my COVID registration, their COVID registration database uh, had been breached. And so all my data that I put in there to register for my COVID vaccine <laughs> is now somewhere floating around the dark web. <laughs> so And they know, sent this, you a letter. They like sent me a letter. Paper yeah. letter. Paper, paper letter. Yeah. Yep. I received it because I don't live in Denton County anymore. And so I received this letter. I was like, oh, why is Denton County sending me uh, <laughs> anything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so we had this electronic security breach and mm -hmm. um and your electronic records were affected, but we're gonna send you a piece of paper just to let you know. Yeah, and I think there is a there is some legal they have some legal obligation around that, right? That they have to like write to you. And I yeah. I'm trying to think of whether they may or may not have had my email address. I, I don't know mm. for for certain. But it's a non-stop thing. It, it, I mean it happens, I think everyone it, at least once a month at this point um, is, is getting these kind of breach notifications, right? If mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's a problem. So very top of mind, um, very interested to kind of talk about it. So I think um, if we were to kind of jump right in, um, let's start off with, with EDR. It's something, it's like the new buzzword, right? And it has been for a while, like everyone's talking about EDR and the DRs, right? Star DR. Um, what, what is that? What are we talking about, Steve, when we talk about EDR specifically? Like, what, what does that mean to us in, in, in a Microsoft 365 context? So in a Microsoft 365 context, it's really taking all of the telemetry that you're getting from various different pieces. Um, so whether you're, you have Defender for, 365, uh, for Office 365 or Defender for Identity or Cloud App Security or any of these other things or um, the actual Windows 10 devices, it's taking that, in, that telemetry and that data and what's happening on that machine and getting it into a centralized area to be able to see what's going on on that endpoint. Um, so again, I say all of these other pieces, but it's really more focused on the endpoint because you have to pull that that information and you want to be able to to know what's going on on your endpoints. Um, and so that's really what, what it's about. That whole I idea of EDR is looking at what's going on at the endpoint level. Um, is there security threats that, and it, is it vulnerable for, for anything? Is there any way that we can make this more secure? And how do we reduce the attack surface um, on those devices using what we currently have? And if we are breached, what do we do? How, do, how can we handle that? And what, um, you know, how do we investigate that? Where do we, where do we find that, that data that comes in? And so that's really what, what we're looking at when it comes to the EDR portion of, say, Defender for Endpoint. Um, and if you go to, if you've, you've got an ME5 or an E5, or, um, you know, if you go to, in fact, I think even there's some portions of it that are active on some E3 licensing. Um, 
E3, A3, A5, you know, for the academic licensing as well. Um, but if you go to security.microsoft.com, that's when you start getting into that centralized portal where you start looking at the endpoint threat detection, as well as you start looking at um, some of the other threat around email and mail hygiene and things like that. And that's where that all culminates into a central repository that's taking a look at uh, various different uh, CVEs uh, as uh, you know for for threats as well as as um, you know in incorporating some of the the MITRE uh, attacks and information that we get from there um, as well as allowing you to to kind of test out um, some of those endpoints as well. So it's really more about you know detection and response to that detection. I mean, you know, EDR, it's endpoint detection and response. I mean, that's what it is. But it's really getting that telemetry from, from those Windows devices um, and knowing what's going on on them. So just a little bit more in depth than antivirus, yeah. right? Because, yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that's, that was gonna, that was gonna be my next question is, is you know, we're talking about, um, you know, a Defender for Endpoint, but when I just have a regular Windows 10 PC, I have Defender on a PC as well, mm -hmm. right? So and like, it's free. And it's free. So what's yeah. I mean, what's what's the difference here? Are we talking about like getting an extra console with centralized reporting, or is there a little bit more to it than just that? It's a it's a little more to it to the, than just that. But you are correct. Every Windows ten machine has that that uh, that Defender on in it. And and one thing I like to point out is that it's not a client. You can't uninstall it. It's kernel level. It's part of the OS. So. Um, it's not dragging down the the resources on that machine. It's not an extra a client that's getting in there. And in fact, if you do install an extra AV client, that Defender just goes into passive mode. It doesn't turn off, mm -hmm. it just goes into passive mode. Um, and part of that whole idea of that passive mode is that it still has that backup level in case that client, in case one of the other AVs installed doesn't get it. But really what it is at that point in time, if you're looking at, at AV, I mean, it's scanning, you know, you're, you're protecting, you're looking for viruses. The EDR is looking at more than that. It's looking at software inventory, software vulnerability, update levels. It's looking at, um, you know, telemetry coming in, network information coming into that device and looking for anomalies based off of, off of the, the trillions of, of signals that we know um, are we're looking for. And so it's really not, it's like antivirus and more. Um, so that endpoint protection is always there and we can utilize that endpoint protection to react to a potential breach, but that EDR is really coming into, to, um, let us know what's going on specifically on that machine. That makes sense. That so, does. Yeah, and that 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 defender for endpoint on the machine, the the I believe it's called next gen protection. I think this is how they're starting to brand it now. It's the defender on the machine. It's the next gen protection, um, and that that piece is where we start getting into. If you have EDR, you have an incident. That's where it can start uh, the process of locking things down, preventing preventing breaches, automatically responding. Um, and that's that's where we get into that response, that if it sees a breach, it can automatically respond, um, utilizing its connection and, and, and everything that you have on there. Um, if you want to be proactive, um, you can put in attack, uh, attack surface reduction rules. And those attack surface reduction rules um, are 
tip th those are that's where you get into like Intune and having to push those policies down. But once those rules are in place, it means that the EDR response has to do less because there's potentially no breach. You're already reducing the attack surface. So let me ask this. Mm -hmm. We've we've got this this thing in the industry which is the the long tail of previous best practices, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't actually matter if we're talking about exchange or SQL or endpoint. Um, or even um, how do we protect ourselves? And uh, we had a customer, um, a net new customer that came to us the other day, and they were recovering from ransomware. And in part of their post-breach analysis, it was pointed out to them that they were running AV on their servers, and they were only using passwords without any kind of a second factor. And okay. We go, what? And that sounds like, like you know, how we did security in the 90s. And to be fair, that is how we did security in the 90s. And many, many businesses, small businesses, medium businesses are still in that same boat because they don't see a reason. Why should, why should that change? Why is this, um, where is the, the clear and present danger that's forcing me to change? And... Um, I hear you, Steve, and it sounds great, but to to me, it sounds like marketing buzzwords, right? So mm -hmm. I have I've I've got my my endpoint security because you know I'm, I'm running my antivirus on my servers, and I I got I got I got passwords on my routers, and um, I have passwords for my users. So why do I need more security from Microsoft? So I think you're right. That that does kind of come into a legacy mindset. Um, I've got these passwords. I've got all of this this information, um, you know. But the legacy mindset was also uh, I don't know if I want to deploy these updates because these updates might break the legacy application that I have. And that whole idea and that's and of not doing updates, security updates, critical updates, things like that. Um, that's where you start getting into that trouble. Uh, you know, the the mindset around this is that there are so many attacks coming so often and there's so many different ways that they're coming in that the assumption is that you have to assume that you're, you're, you're going to be breached or you're breached. And that's the whole idea of, of zero trust is that you want to know what's going on in your machines. And, it, you know, you can keep your AV on those machines. But if you don't have that telemetry of every single little last piece from that machine, then you'll never know where or what happened. You'll never be alerted. If that if it gets by that AV, if your AV is just, you know, a week out of definitions, then you're gonna then then you're you're putting yourself at risk. And I think the idea around this is that the more information that we can have pull in, the faster we can react to be able to prevent damage and or automatically say, hey, this is a breach that we saw coming in and we stopped. Um, Aren't and you saying though, Steve, that if I'm a um, an IT manager or an an IT director, who's responsible for mm -hmm. their security shop, aren't you saying that a lot of the security requirements that are out there to defend ourselves against attacks that are so advanced, 
that we, by default, the fence that we're building around our houses just can't stop the bulldozer that's out there, right? So I've got this, mm -hmm. this white picket fence and it used to work, and but the bulldozers have become bigger. Do I have any kind of line of defense if I don't partner with a Microsoft or another big gorilla in the room from a security point of view? Am I defenseless? That's a tough question. Um, quite honestly, if you're that, not looking, I, I mean, that is. That is that's a tough question. Are you defenseless? I mean, quite honestly, if you're if you're not partnering with someone, you certainly don't have the defenses that you could. Um, I think I think also there's there's the 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 partnering piece, but then there's also the the change of mindset, right? And I think Steve, you you, you mentioned a few things that we that I've certainly run into a bunch. Updates. If mm -hmm. you do nothing else, update your stuff. You can't today live in a world where you're, you know, N minus two anymore. Like I, mm -hmm. and, and I know, you know, large organizations have always kind of had this thing. Yeah. You know what? We'll let other people test it and we'll let them shake it out. And we'll always be N minus one. And mm -hmm. you know, or if we're, if we're an exchange and we're hybrid, N minus two is what the minimum we need to be supported. Mm -hmm. hey, supportability and, and, and being secure are two different things. And you cannot yes. operate in an environment anymore, exchange or other, right? We know exchange has taken a lot of beating this, this year. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot take, uh, operate, it's just, it's just insane. So if you do nothing else, you've got to update, right? Keep that stuff up to date. So, so there's that change of mindset for one, right? Is make sure that you can get the stuff done. Your, your environment's very large. You have all these servers to patch. I understand that. Figure it out. Automation is there, right? We have all of these things that we can do to make this better. You don't have to be living in 1990 anymore. But I think the other the other part of this is you also have to think about how you think about you change the way you think about security. It's not a matter of saying, well, we've bought this product, it's deployed, we're good. That's not how this works anymore, mm -hmm. right? There is this partnership concept. Um, but I also think you need to be looking at, um, you know, uh, what Gartner is saying, not Gartner, um, what NIST is saying about controls, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be auditing yourself. Even if you don't care about the certification, the compliance cert that comes with it, not every business needs to be ISO, blah, 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 right? But take that information. It's freely available in most cases. Use those, use those controls to, to have a mm -hmm. look at, well, you know what, do I have multi-factor on some of my important services, right? Um, I'm going through uh, an an exercise like this with a with a customer at the moment, and I, I can't obviously talk about it too much, but um, mm -hmm. you know, there's a perception that in order for us to get to this like utopia of security, mm. we have to go mm. and buy all of this stuff. And obviously, the bigger your budget, as with anything, the bigger your budget, the 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 better um, or the easier it could potentially be. But it doesn't yeah. mean that you can't do anything. You have to go and start in these little baby steps, updating your stuff. That's very important. Looking mm -hmm. at what's out in the market, like you can't, you know, we've we've read, we've all read about active threats and ransomware that target traditional AV, right? Because well, it goes into the registry and it just nukes the start, right? And it does nothing mm -hmm. um, until until you know weeks later. Because we've got to remember too, Hollywood portrays the bad guy, bad actors 
as these guys with hoodies um, <laughs> sitting in the dark, right? Which, you know, up until now- Some of them are. Well, yeah, uh, some know, of them, yeah. Depending on the day, that could be me also, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I love sitting in the dark. And have, I mean, I do it all yeah, the time. Um, absolutely. Uh, that's how, but Hollywood portrays these as like people who like it's it's seconds. Like they they're acting mm -hmm. instantly, and they're they're breaching, and they're getting in, they're getting out, and they're nuking logs, and they're gone. That's not the reality, people. These 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 the these bad actors are spending weeks reconning re, yeah reconning your environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know they're 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 taking a long time. When when they get in, they're not even acting. Um, you know, I did a, a compromise assessment just recently. Um, the bad actor had been in the environment for three weeks before they did anything. Mm -hmm. Three weeks. And I think that's a short period of time, right? Mm -hmm. So the stuff takes a while. And so when you don't have one, if you don't have something, I think mm -hmm. kernel level, anything kernel level that cannot just be nuked out of the registry or the service stopped is, is you know, obviously there's, there's some uh, um, uh, benefit to that. But when you have something that's reporting the telemetry on the machine, and is is looking out for abnormalities, right? That's a really, really good thing to have. Now, the next problem becomes: you have ten thousand machines in your fleet, and you have the central repository with of you know ten thousand times ten thousand logs every every hour. Mm. You've got to be able to pass that stuff in, in a in a you know a, an easy to digest way, because otherwise it just becomes noise. And then we mm -hmm. see. You know what we used to see back in the old, the, the old days of mom right microsoft operations manager where people just start turning stuff off because there's just too many yeah. alerts right so I, I think i think we still have have some of that so you know say you enable all of microsoft security capabilities you got defender for endpoint on your on your dcs looking for for sideways uh movement and for pass the hash and golden ticket and stuff like that you've got defender for office 365 looking for malware you've got defender uh you've got cloud app security um and you've got defender for endpoint all coming in you still have to tune it you still have to make sure, but what what's what's happening now is that if an incident comes in, if it's just an alert, it's just an alert. If it's a high level alert, you'll get a, a, alerted on that. But if it's just an alert, it's just an alert. But if it becomes an incident and then concatenates all of those those um, telemetry data, so maybe they came in via MCAS or maybe they came in via an email and then they they got access via defend via, via a, a log on a on a, a Win10 machine and then they moved sideways. So all of that stuff now comes into a central location where Microsoft has said, we have seen this actor. Um, come in, he came in through malware, he jumped over from this machine to this machine to this mm -hmm. machine, he got elevated access, he did pass the hash, um, and then he did these five things. Getting that all together in you know in the traditional in the legacy world is almost impossible because you got to get logs from five different places. You got to get your AV logs. You got to get your proof point. You've got to get all of the that different information. You've got to get that all together. And and I think what what I'm seeing and and you know I I worked at a Microsoft partner for many years and I am. You know, I I don't consider my a fan myself a fanboy. I run Linux servers. I, you know, I, I often run Ubuntu. Warren would have been Warren would have been beside himself right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I but what I'm seeing is what I'm seeing. What they've done here is completely different than anybody else has done. I mean, the closest thing that has come to it, and, and the biggest the biggest thing has been the conglomerate of of kind of security groups that got together and said, "Hey, we're all five separate different companies, but now you can mm -hmm. buy this this and have this." 
bundled of of the AV and the IDM and all of those different mm, things. Mm. Um, but Microsoft already has all of that, and they're already, you know, like you said, whether whether you like Gartner or not, it, they're already in the upper right quadrant for for almost everything when it comes to security level. So it's just getting more and more secure based off of off of the amount of money they're putting into security um, as well as is the telemetry they get nobody else can get that level of telemetry and I think that's a really good point right because we've historically and, and to Nick's you know to use Nick's phrasing the the long tail of previous best practices right if yeah. I was responsible for purchasing um, product at a, at a large organization I'd be going after the best of breed solutions, right? I'd be going to mm -hmm. the best, what was it, you know, would be considered the best AV vendor and I'd go buy their thing. Mm -hmm. Then I'd go to the the best spam, you know, vendor and I'd go buy their thing. Sometimes yeah. they were the same, yeah. sometimes they were not, we didn't care. Mm -hmm. But we really should start looking at this more as like a best in platform um, uh, model now where if you do have all your eggs in one basket, um, there's actually some benefit to that now, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, you know, we can, we can reuse all of those security signals and make better decisions across the entire platform. Um, and we've long since on this show said, um, one of Microsoft's strongest and biggest benefits in, in the marketplace today is Azure AD. Because mm. Azure AD is the, the thing that ties everything else together, right? If you know mm -hmm. the identity and you control the identity um, and it's an extension of your, your, your identities on premises. So we've already got that piece. Now everything can kind of we can we can um, you know look at what's happening with that identity or log on and then correlate that to signaling we're getting from the endpoint. How powerful is that? And how can any vendor mm. compete with that? Well, yeah, I, I mean, exactly. If you start looking at that, I, I mean, you know, we talk about a lot of this stuff. We talk about, e, you know, EDR and, and, and attack surface reduction and stuff like that. But you're right. Identity is is that core. And that's where that zero trust starts um, when you're dealing with with uh, like Azure AD, especially when you deal with like um, um, identity protection, where it's taking your password hashes and uh, verifying them across the dark web and saying, oh, you know, this user's been been uh, been compromised. We got to go ahead and shut his, his machine down or force MFA on everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, identity is 100% the, the first line of defense. Um, and, and like they said, enabling MFA will, will stop 99% of, of most identity breaches. Uh, but if something gets through, if MFA is not there, then you, or if someone, you know, goes out to a site and you torrents down something or, you know, download something and, you know, hey, this is an interesting script. I'm just going to go mm -hmm. ahead and double click it and boom, it go off it goes. Um, if there's, you know, something embedded in a, win in a Word document or something like that, you want to make sure that if the identity is not in play, you're at least saying, I know this identity opened this file and this file now jumped around. So now I know kind of where it started, and now I can start tracking that back and say, okay, this is the user that's that started it. Let's lock them down. Um, let's force MFA on them, or let's do what we need to do there, and then and then we can chase the subsequent users. We can hunt them, and that's the whole idea of the the threat hunting um, in in the security center within Microsoft as well is is hunting across that telemetry that you have. That sounds a lot like. Uh, 
Sounds like a COVID contact tracing in Australia. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. will hunt you down <laughs> and lock yeah, you up. That's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. So, so you mentioned um, something you mentioned before. Sorry, Nick. To, to, you, yeah, you look like you're getting very cold. By the way, Nick, it's, uh, it looks like it's oh, pretty cold in Cape Town. It's winter on my side of the world. And, and when you're finished, <laughs> I, I have a, a semi-unfair question for Steve because he looks very comfortable at the moment, and I think we should do something about that. What I was going to ask was, um, so you mentioned, uh, you had mentioned Intune um, and you'd also mentioned MCAS, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, uh, kind of a two-parter on the question. This is, you know, this is a Nick question, two-parter. Uh, part one, um, what are the requirements for Intune as far as uh, being able to deploy Defender, right, for, for, for Endpoint? Like, do you have to use one? Uh, are they mutually exclusive or do you have to, you know, go with both of them together? Um, and then the, the second part of this is, is more, how does... MCAS kind of fit into this, right? Because MCAS is not on the device and we're looking at, uh, you know, those connections to the mm -hmm. cloud, right? And and how do we, how can we leverage MCAS to make our devices more secure? So first and foremost, Intune, um, you know, if you get into doing attack, uh, attack surface reduction rules and policies and things like that, and managing the actual endpoint protection, that next gen, that next gen protection on those Win 10 machines, Intune is, is obviously going to be where you want to do that. It doesn't stop you. You can continue to use that endpoint protection. Um, and, and I believe that there's, there's group policies and things you can do with, um, you know, Microsoft endpoint config and the old SCCM on-premise, uh, co-manage that sort of stuff. You can you can control that endpoint protection on those Windows 10 machines that way. But it, it's just an Intune that makes it very easy. You don't have to have the device enrolled in Intune to get that EDR capability. Um, and, and in fact, if you're doing Windows 10 or even the servers or down-level servers or even Linux servers um, um, or Mac, Mac machines, um, you absolutely can just enroll them to start getting that telemetry. So, you know, you don't have to be using that endpoint uh, protection mm -hmm. to be able to get that telemetry. Again, like, like I said, you could have um, a, a trend endpoint installed and you could still enroll that device into the, the um, endpoint protection EDR portion, get that telemetry. And because that endpoint protection is, is uh, in passive mode, um, if, it, if something gets through trend, then that endpoint protection has the ability to block and it has the ability to isolate those machines um, and allow you to kind of get in and, and manage that. Um, so do you need Intune? You don't, but it does make it easier uh, for for that level of protection. Um, you know, it's just again, it's just a script that you run. You could push it out with with GPO. You could push it out with with you know just a standard you know PS exec command. You can remotely deploy the script on whatever machines you want. Um, when it comes to MCAS, though, MCAS is we're getting telemetry from that, and MCAS is is um, going to be the repository for Defender for Identity at some point as well. Um, they've already started the process of taking Defender for Identity, which is the old advanced threat analytics, um, and bringing that telemetry data into MCAS um, as well. But MCAS is where um, you can ensure that any of your cloud, including including the, the 365 stack, but including Salesforce and um, all of those different SaaS-based applications, um, you're monitoring exactly what they do. And mm. it becomes that, for, that, that forward proxy. 
So users are going through that, and then everything they're doing in those in that cloud is monitored. Um, and then that MCAS has the ability to plug in for a variety of things. When it comes to compliance, you have the ability to do DLP. You could do uh, endpoint DLP. Um, you have the ability to do to do a variety of things there. But that's where the Azure AD comes into play. So if you're outside of a network if you have conditional access you can create conditional access policies that force over that forward proxy to make sure that anything that you're doing inside of that SaaS app um, is going through the cloud app security going through that casby um, and you can you can tie it to again that identity protection and say if this is a threat risk or if this is a this is a impossible travel or if this user has been compromised we are going to let them in with MFA but they're only going to get read only to Salesforce they're gonna, not going to get anything else so when it comes to that it's it's that MCAS piece all of that telemetry still goes into that EDR for threat hunting to try to find out what potential bad actors might have done um, or to try to stop that. Um, but that NCAS piece is, is very powerful in making sure that um, any SaaS-based application that they're accessing um, is monitored and controlled. The best part about it, especially when you start getting into endpoint, is you can sanction and unsanction apps and URLs. So if someone's going to Gmail, I can unsanction Gmail and at that endpoint level, it will prevent them from going to Gmail. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, it, it, you know, I can sanction AWS and they can get into that. And if I unsanction it, it goes away. They don't have the ability to access um, and get into those SaaS based apps. And that actually is controlled and pushed down to that endpoint. It's the endpoint that blocks it. Um, it's not that that report or reverse proxy. So, uh, you know, at that point in time, you know, if your endpoint is in and it's enrolled and it's set up with MCAS and it's in Intune, you have the ability to to do a lot more granular controls on what people can and can't do and can and can't open. And so hmm. that's where you get into that that um, that uh, shadow IT blocking and making sure that you're not letting people get to some of those things. So it occurs to me that that would be a useful tool uh, as far as a response to some sort of breach as well, right? If, if, mm. if you're known uh, or if you're able to detect that there is something going on on, on the endpoints um, and these endpoints are now starting to, you know, phone home to some sort of command mm -hmm. and control, you could block that straight away and just cut it off so that they're no longer phoning home. So that seems like that could be a pretty, pretty useful tool too. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can you can put in you know specific URLs, things like that. But the other piece that that uh, around that is when you get in back into that security. If they're Windows 10 and, and they're a part of that security center and they've been enrolled within Defender for Endpoint in the EDR, um, if you know of a specific machine that is the source for the bad, that bad actor and everything else seems okay, you can isolate it. Um, and that remote isolation basically locks down all network communication except for you coming in and getting in and doing, um, you know, remote connectivity via that 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 uh, Defender for for Endpoint uh, console, that security console, and running um, packages to get uh, all of the data from there, and or um, communicating directly with that user. You can have teams able to work, um, but nothing else. Nothing. It's absolutely isolated at that point. So that's one of the the powerful things that you can do uh, at that level as well. That that has to be uh, kind of more of a modern OS. The Windows 10 base kernel and up 
um, that gives you that capability. That's probably, I mean, I, I can imagine with, you know, work from home, those types of capabilities mm -hmm. are pretty important because you can't just send someone over to the desk right now, right? Or at least not no. very easily. No. Um, but I, I no. wonder how many organizations are really set up for, for that type of thing. Um, interestingly, though, too, we're talking, you know, Windows 10 and, and Server, but um, so I think Server 2022 came out last week, was it? Mm -hmm. um, yep. Which is interesting. And, and we're seeing, obviously, Windows 11. Um, I think the first ISO release is out now. So mm -hmm. lots of lots of change happening. Um, interesting. Yeah, and, and lots of change happening, but a lot of a lot of the security capabilities, you know, like from starting with Win Win Ten, um, that level of kernel, um, parts of twenty sixteen, you have to enable that, but twenty nineteen server and above um, have that advanced protection. Um, and you can deploy ASR capabilities. Now, there's not a centralized way to do it unless you're using SCCM on servers. Uh, Windows, Windows 10 endpoints, you have the ability to obviously do it with Intune. Um, but yeah, as we start looking at that, it's more and more integrated and it's sending more and more telemetry uh, to prevent, again, these ransomware, um, these types of attacks, this, the, this infiltration. Nick, so I I'm had a question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have a question for, for both of you. And I want to throw this at, at the both of you because, Chris, you are a CCIE and, Stephen, you are a security vendor. And the, the question is that the three of us are very comfortable with Zero Trust as a framework, understanding that it is a framework. And originally it was a, a Forrester thing. Oh, I apologize. My world is ringing. Let me just put down on that. So originally it was a forester thing and microsoft has an implementation of that and we're comfortable with that and microsoft's implementation is around identity and we still have the 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 preservation of principles like network segmentation because of conditional access as well as as other mechanisms like physical mechanisms within azure that we can also use for for infrastructure but staying with modern workplace and what we're achieving from a security point of view is there not a danger that we have subscribed to a methodology of defense and that our attackers can choose not to subscribe to that same methodology and just attack using a different method and methodology so we're not you know einstein said that you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that caused it so if i'm an attacker I could just look at everything that Zero Trust defends. And these are great principles, right? So we've got MITRE mm -hmm. as a framework to resolve attacks, and we can assume that there's horizontal movement, so we'll look for that. But we've seen some incredible uh, attacks that have happened that we could not necessarily have prevented. We found them, and that's mm -hmm. great. But we, if we look at the, the previous OEMs and, and uh, very large software companies who make software for other companies like um, SolarWinds, the SolarWinds breach was just genius. Mm -hmm. That completely circumvented, arguably, what we are trying to achieve with um, Zero Trust. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think the whole premise of Zero Trust is that you have to always verify everything, right? So never trust, always verify. And I think that if you, um, if if you were to uphold those principles on absolutely everything, so absolutely every connection inbound, and let's be real, how many people, how many organizations today can say 
we're 100% at the end of our zero trust journey. I don't think anyone I know can, no right? one. Exactly. Mm. Not a single um, customer. But but ultimately, if you were to stay true to, you know, to use Microsoft terminology, that North Star of what zero mm. trust is, right? Um, I think it probably could have um, uh, circumvented that. I think the problem is, is that we're always going to find that convenience <laughs> is is going to be the you know um, the the undoer or the evildoer or, and is, is going to be the thing that kind of helps uh, attackers come in because we're gonna we're gonna secure um, the things again that, that, that we think are going to be targets but there's always going to be that oh, that little back door that oh you know we have this vendor that's doing this thing for us mm. and mm. their guys can't have accounts in our environment or we're not going to allow you know they don't want to have to multi-factor every time they're there's mm. always going to be, and it's always going to be a human thing, right? And so um, I know that Steve, uh, early on when we were talking here, talked about OCM and, and you know, sort of um, adoption and change management and stuff like that. And I think that's where this be that part becomes very important because mm -hmm. no level of technology, it doesn't matter how sophisticated, it doesn't matter how big your budget, is ever going to solve the human element. You, you're going to have to bring the users along on this journey, right? Social engineering is always going to be number one, and and social social hacking mm -hmm. is always going to be is always is always going to be the the potential to get through on on things. Mm. Um, and I think I think you you bring up good point. We're seeing that they're no longer attacking individuals with MFA, and we've got you know smart links, and and we've got remote detonation of of uh, of attachments, and so they're they're looking at other ways in, like solar winds. Um, mm -hmm. But once they get in, they got to move sideways. They got to do something mm. once once they get down onto a client that's within a, a, you know an Azure data center and they start you know jumping to another one that that's where we getting that telemetry and making sure and that's that's while zero trust starts at the end user and making sure that we're verifying that um, the zero trust also it, it makes the assumption that you've been breached. And so mm -hmm. making sure you know where it is and you're alerted early um, is a huge part of that zero trust is ensuring you're getting that telemetry. Um, so as long as we're getting all the telemetry, we're going to see all of those things. There might be a breach, but mm -hmm. zero trust, it wasn't from an identity. It wasn't from a user. It was from someone coming in. We saw it, we mitigated it, and the damage was minimal. And I think that's all that. We've seen, you know, we've seen wildly sophisticated attacks recently and we've seen you know actors using like exploit chains of like three or four different zero days you know to to do the thing they're looking to do right but not all of them are like that very often these things mm -hmm. are, are are opportunity right and so i mean look at the colonial pipeline attack that happened when was it earlier this year right when they shut down um the the, the pipeline to the part of the u.s that the, the 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 way they got in was credential reuse with no MFA, right? They found the VPN. I, I believe it was a VPN concentrator login uh, on the dark web. There was no MFA on it. That's a very. I mean, we've been preaching that stuff for years. So that's that stuff is simple, right? And and mm -hmm. now MFA is not necessarily up to the end user. I guess. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not aware. I've never worked with customers who give the user the option: Do you want MFA or not? Right? Mm -hmm. Usually, it's it's mandated, um, or if it's not there, it's because the organization isn't mature enough to get there yet, and and that happens. Like we we see that. Mm -hmm. um, 
But credential reuse, 100% is, a, is an end user training and awareness thing, right? And, and you solve that through change management, awareness programs, helping users understand the dangers of, and I think Colonial Pipeline is like the case in point now of the danger of, of, mm -hmm. of, of you know, um, credential reuse, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I also, you know, have any of you, this is just for my own interest sake, you know, because Nick and I were talking about password managers earlier in the week. Um, any of you worked with customers who have password managers for regular users? I'm not talking that most IT departments have some form of password manager, right? Um, where they where they store mm -hmm. passwords, important stuff. I'm talking like mm -hmm. end users. Like you, you join an organization, you know, as, you know, Joey in accounting and on your first day or your first week of, of sort of, you know, onboarding, you get access to a password manager that has a vault for your personal stuff and a vault for corporate stuff that is shared in your team. Have any of you come across clients that work in that way? Because I haven't. Mm -mm. We do this internally, but it's because we, we understand the risk of credential leak and um, the kind of risk that it opens us up as a professional services organization. And we we use third-party vaults with strong encryption and controls in place and, and that type of thing. And uh, getting in there and realizing the, um, the kind of treasure trove that I sit on, for example, for me to to do estate planning, as an example, just in my personal right. Yeah. Um, uh, I had to figure out how do I do personal estate planning so that people around me could do banking in case I die, that type of thing. So having to put that somewhere and then figuring out how to make that secure made my passwords into sentences that I could communicate and write down somebody securely on a, on a piece of paper. Very much like if you um, getting into the... Um, the the the, uh, the the Bitcoin world, and you you got to write that password down somewhere on a piece of paper, so it, it physically can't be breached, right? And lock it up mm -hmm. in a secure place. But coming back to to customers, um, I find it's very difficult to get past that. Why why should I do it? I seem to be okay. I seem mm. to be safe. And um, aren't you being a bit paranoid about this? Until there's a breach. And then often we want to fix just enough to get past that breach. So that breach isn't mm. repeatable, but I don't want to be inconvenienced by having this whole security mindset because, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's a different way of thinking. Yeah. I've got to train my users. And this is, I think, where we get to Steve's point where if we have that partner on our side that automates so much of that where, mm. um, I can I can take passwords away from users and I can MFA as part of a transparent workflow so I'm passwordless. So mm -hmm. now I don't have to do password education. Mm -hmm. And my users, all of their links are now safe. Every link that are that gets to me via Teams or via an email. I had a phishing email today that appeared to come from my bank and I looked at it and the mail was crafted nearly perfectly up until I hovered over the URL and it was a shortened URL. So I took it into a, a safe browser and I detonated it. And the safe links actually said, mm -mm, this is a malicious mm -mm. link. So <laughs> I knew, I knew I, my, my accounting staff would have been safe and they would have been rescued by safe links coming in. So I think there's an awful lot that automation does for us and mm -hmm. can do for us. 
but uh, the other side of the coin where you say, do customers do this? Customers also look at this stuff and say, oh, I need an E5 or I need an M365 E5. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a lot of money to get all the toys. And what's the minimum toys I need to get mm -hmm. to feel safe enough that I've done the right thing and that I'm probably not going to get breached? And honestly, I don't have an answer to that. See, I think my, my response to that usually is that it's a journey, right? And, and yes. I think Martina, Martina Grom made this point uh, also when we, when we talked uh, to her and Tony a, a few weeks ago. Every organization is going to be in a different level of maturity when it comes to some of mm. this stuff, right? Yeah. You're going to have some organizations who get the MFA thing and everyone has MFA across everything. But then when it comes mm. to data security, they're nowhere, right? And so... When you're, when you're an organization and you're sitting and you're going, okay, well, we want to secure our IP now, right? And I, mm. I work with companies like this all the time, manufacturing, et cetera. We want to, we want to secure our IP. I'm going to go out and buy like the highest SKU because that gives me all the features. My, my response is always, look, that's great that you have the budget to do that, but where are you now, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have data classification? Do you know what your data is, uh, is and where it is? Well, no. Mm, mm. It was like you need to start there. You don't need an E5, M5, E5 to stop with data classification. Mm, start no, at no. that level, get that stuff in place, get your users thinking about using classification labels and sensitivity labels and all of that stuff. And then when you want to start getting to a little bit more of an advanced functionality, once the organization is on board, then you start bringing in some of the automation and some of the higher end SKUs. But I feel like mm. there's this, again, it's just this old school tendency of saying, the more money we throw at a problem, mm. the quicker the problem is going to go away. A lot of these problems are not technology problems anymore. They're, they're change problems. They're cultural problems. Um, you know, mm. they're user mm. problems that we need to look at it a, a little bit of a different way. So. And I think, and I think, if we start looking at the cost level of things, I, I, you start looking at um, the hard and soft costs. I mean, sure, yes, an ME five or you know an EMSE five, um, you know, or an EMSE five plus compliance. Yeah, it can get pricey. I mean, I think the the retail on an, on an ME five is fifty seven dollars right now. Well, and then in in, um, in, in March of twenty twenty two. It's going E3, up. <laughs> E3s, E3s. Yeah. I think E5, E5 think E5 E5 E5s are, yeah. E5 but, but if you if you look at the the soft the the soft costs being, you know, the ability to automate a lot of the response and making sure that you're not chasing these th things down, that's one thing. That's hard to quantify soft costs. Mm -hmm. But if you start looking at the competitor products that you have in there that you're already paying for, if you have, mm -hmm. um, you know, another a different MCAS, if you have mm -hmm. um, a different um, EDR solution, if you have any of the a different compliance solution if you have all of those things and you start adding that all up plus your e3 that you're getting um it then starts getting to a point where it's like yeah i mean i could buy this bundle and i could have everything but to chris's point you're it's 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 a journey and it's really hard to to go all in immediately it, it is a journey and it is about I mean, that's that's why you have, um, you know, phishing campaigns and and, uh, you know, within within the Defender for for Office 365 to be able to kind of test and train your users that, hey, just be a little more vigilant. And that's that's why you have a lot of that stuff. And even um, that's like you're going to yeah. you're going to if you're really good, you're going to get to a point where that tool is no longer providing value because mm -hmm. your users are so well trained that you can't trick them enough with that tool. Right. And at that mm. point, then you have to say, okay, well, hang on. Maybe I need to go and look at some other thing in the market where I can do some more advanced. Because, you know, I, I always look at 
the way Microsoft does things is this sort of 80-20 uh, breakdown, right? They really want to be everything for 80% of the market, but there's always mm. going to be 20% of organizations where, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, maybe the tool is, is, is a little lightweight for what they need. And so you can step that up. Um, so I think, I mean, it's, it's great. You need to start somewhere though, right? You can't mm. just mm. go from zero to hero. And then the, the other risk there, and this is, I think where our friends at eNow um, do really well is, helping customers identify that wastage because mm -hmm. when you when you go in and you just go and spend money on licenses but you're not actually using any of that stuff then mm -hmm. the next mm -hmm. year comes around for your renewal you're on the journey to actually starting to make use of some of these licenses but you haven't quite got mm -hmm. there yet right because you're just like oh well i have them i'll use them but when the bean counters come around next year they go well hang on you didn't use any of the stuff why do you want to renew it Mm -hmm. That conversation is a lot harder than saying, well, you know what, we, year one, we, we, we made absolutely all the use of everything that we had. Um, look at the great benefits that it's provided the organization. We haven't um, you know, had any breaches, blah, 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 blah. We now want to up because we want to get some you know, more advanced functionality. Mm -hmm. I think the conversation mm -hmm. is much easier to have than, than like, uh-oh, like we didn't use half the stuff we have. And that's... So, and that's go ahead, Steve. I was just gonna say that's that's a that's a huge reason why you look at a lot of um, you know a lot of partners, a lot of services, can, you know, consulting partners and 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 uh, Microsoft itself who are looking to make sure that you're getting the value out of it. Mm -hmm. If you bought an E5 or if you bought an E3, they want to make sure that you're utilizing that because ultimately um, it's going to make you more secure. But they want to make sure you're doing it right too. Mm. So we've talked about literally a family of disciplines and products and things that we could be doing and in various different approaches. And again, I want to direct the two of you because you've got the, the luxury of an, an enterprise mm -hmm. mindset, enterprise customers. However, we also have customers that are net new coming into the ecosystem. So I've never engaged with Microsoft as a security vendor before. I'm taking identity from Microsoft. So uh, imagine we've got a, a customer who comes over from Google or another ecosystem or even another security vendor. What are the two or three things that we care the most about that would give a customer a running start and understanding that there's a journey, but where do we get that warm, fuzzy glow of, I have a good start. And obviously, if we don't start with identity and MFA, I don't think we've got a start of a conversation. So mm -hmm. I'm going to qualify that one as the first one, right? Mm -hmm. But then let me hand over to, to you two and say, okay, I've managed to fight with my users. I've got MFA on everything. What do I do next? I mean, you've got MFA on everything, so you're you're there. If you've got your your mailboxes in Office 365, I think the next thing you're looking at is 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 securing um, the data within Office 365. So you're looking at kind of um, the the anti phishing, the safe links, the the um, safe attachments. I think that's the next the next simple one. And and when you get into um, you know attack simulation and helping train those users, and a lot I, look, I think any company from 25 users up to you know, multiple thousands of users are going to to see the advantages in that. I think that's the next step because if you know if you get in via MFA, you can always mess things up by clicking on a bad link or open a bad yeah. attachment. Yeah. So that's the I mean, and that's and that's that start. 
Um, and then I think from there, um, you start looking at maintaining the endpoint that those users are on. Mm. Um, and at least that's that's just my perspective, mm. making sure that those endpoints are safe, whether it means that they're updated um, or you've gone through and looked at all the security risks in all the software inventory that, that you know, Defender for Endpoint, if that EDR, it's going to do a full software inventory and you're going to see Adobe's out, out of, out of uh, you know, it's out of support. you got to do an update here. Um, so, you know, doing that and making sure you know what your endpoints are looking at and getting telemetry around that, I think is, is the next step because that's going to make it mm -hmm. secure. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think it's good. You got to take the users on the journey, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to be protecting the data. But I, I would, I would add on the data protection side, depending on what your organization does, data security is probably also really, really important, right? Starting to look at classification and sensitivity and stuff, but that's not as important for every organization. You know, I, 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 um, I spoke to a, a customer a little while ago who do, um, Nick might, might, might know these guys, they're in agri, they do, you know, they grow fruit and, and things like that uh, all around the world. And we were talking about, you know, sensitive data and data security and they said, well, we're farmers, like we don't have anything. Um, now, I don't know that this is necessarily 100% true, but the point he made was, we're farmers. If someone wants to take our data, they can take our data. They're going to, you know, understand soil mm. samples and, and, and fertilizer mixtures and stuff like that. He was like, that stuff's not trade secrets, right? Whereas I have other customers who have, you know, very, very highly sensitive formulas for things that they've mm -hmm. developed as proprietary, you know, IP. Yeah, that you want to protect that stuff. Do yeah. Does the farmer need exact data match where you upload a, a list of everything that prevent and yeah. and it stops at you know at that exact data match? Probably not. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. understanding data exfiltration, um, insider risk, that sort of stuff. I think that that's always beneficial for anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think and I that um, that that you make a good point with that. That 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 kind of the compliance side of things, making sure that you know where your data is at least and who has access to mm. it. And if you don't want him ha to have access to it or 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 to be able to put it up into their own Dropbox account, mm. you can mm. stop that. Yep. And then I, I, I think the endpoint is great. Sorry, Nick. The mm. last point I wanted to make here is, you know, when mm. we talk about mm. compliance and, and, and sort of risk management, and I think this is going to definitely be a conversation for a different episode, though, is starting mm -hmm. to look at vendor risk management because that is becoming very important these days because as i said at the top of the episode anyone is going to get breached at any point these days and you can't you know if someone has your data um you need to also be doing some sort of due diligence into how they keep records right so that you can be as secure as possible but you're doing business with someone who doesn't care mm -hmm. not the mm -hmm. best idea it's true it's true um i just want to point out that both of you had uh, wonderful strategies and uh, very, very implementable. However, neither one of you said at which point do we pause and look at which console so that I get an all-up view of something <laughs> without necessarily having to do a Sentinel investment because I'm going to, to start with an MFA journey. And to be fair, I, I can see how many users are MFAs, uh, MFA'd or, or not MFA'd without having to go to a complicated console. And then uh, I add... Or let's just say I stop at SafeLinks, but then from a surfacing of how awesome my protection point of view is, mm -hmm. and obviously there's some maturity there as well, 
there's consoles I can I can look at that I can also then grow into other things. I don't need necessarily to have a Sentinel at that point. I might want to have a compliance dashboard or a risk dashboard that I'm looking at inside my tenant. Mm -hmm. And that's also good enough at that stage, understanding that we're in a journey. And maybe you are going to go down the, the road of SOCSIM. Maybe you're just going to go SIM. And um, maybe you don't need or at some stage can't afford advanced telemetry interpolation and being able to correlate things across multiple data sources. But at minimum, you want to be able to have a place that you look at something that says, I have alerts, I have something that comes to me, and I need to know how, how good or badly I'm doing because there's no point in security being a black box and I'm assuming that I'm secure without some kind of a surfacing of that information. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I definitely agree with the thinking there that, you know, when you start having all of this alerting and everything, it has to go somewhere, right? It has to go somewhere that can make intelligent decisions about it and, and kind of help cut down on the noise. Um, I also think that when you start talking about Sentinel, um, you're stepping to a level where you need dedicated people who mm -hmm. do only that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that people are going to disagree with me here. But I, I, I don't think that you can make the most use of a platform like Splunk or Logarithm or Sentinel or anything like that unless you have security-focused, security-minded people. Mm -hmm. And their job is to, is to maintain and, and respond to alerts in that platform. A lot yeah. of organizations, like we, we know the jack-of-all-trade approach that a lot of organizations have, right? Hey, you, you know, you're doing, the, you're doing Exchange Online well, you're also doing Teams now in MFA. We've got this, the Sentinel thing, so we're going to give that to you as well. I don't believe that that Sentinel skill set um, and, and, and sort of thinking um, fits with someone who isn't focused on it. I, I, I think it's mm -hmm. to get the most value. And I realize this is going to be a controversial um, opinion, but just based on, on my um, experience working with customers who have tried this and done this and stuff like that, I just don't think it works until... I think I think when you're dealing with with companies that aren't going into Sentinel, you've you've got a lot of those portals, and yeah, it's not all in one. And I think that that I you know it seems like that it's shifting that way to the the security.microsoft.com to that portal. Um, but you know, you look at your compliance portal, you look at your security portal, you look at all of these different things. They're going to give you that secure score, um, and that secure score I think is is a pretty good indicator of what you've implemented to make sure you're secure or your compliance score. Um, are, are, I think those are, are pretty good areas, um, you know, especially when you're looking at, at um, maybe a smaller company that doesn't have that dedicated piece. It's going to show you, you know, your score is this, click here to see what else you could do to raise that score. So MFA is enabled, but there might be some other things. Um, you know, you haven't deployed the latest patch, so your score is not going to be as high. So you need to go do that. And I think that for those jack of all trades gives you that centralized location, um, at least for the endpoints, um, at least for for Office 365 Defender for for that that uh, mail hygiene and the compliance side of things. It is three right now, but it is you know once you get to that 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 portal, it does give you a pretty good indication of the health of your business at that time. Mm. Um, when you get into Sentinel, obviously you can start bringing in other telemetry to be able to really to really do that. And that's where you start getting into, um, I kind of agree with you a bit, Chris. Um, other, you know, the other thought would be potentially um, 
a professional services person who comes in once a month, maybe you don't necessarily need that, um, a full-time person. But if you're a smaller organization, you take all of that information that you get from the, the security portal, the Defender for Endpoint, and that can jump, that can dump in Sentinel, you know, with a connector. And that, that, that dumping of that data is not going to cost anybody anything. So, so people can get a, get a, an idea of what that is. Um, so there's there's um, a limited limited capability. You're not going to be able to have years upon years of, of Defender for Endpoint data, but you can take that Defender for Endpoint data, get it into Sentinel. People can start messing around with that, see what that looks like. But I think you're right, Nick. You know, if you do that, and then you start pulling in, you know, firewall logs, you start pulling router logs, you start pulling in um, sand logs, you start pulling all of this stuff in. Um, you start pulling, you know, connecting in Azure VMs, and you connect out to AWS, and you pull in those the, the telemetry from those VMs into into one Sentinel. Um, you then can start creating those workbooks that create that nice dashboard for an overall health for your organization, mm -hmm. and then you can start are creating playbooks that, that and automation around if there's a breach based off of that. So you can start adding that automation in. And, and again, it gives you the capability to, to be able to say, hey, this machine's not necessarily secure. Um, do you want us to go fix it? Or this database that you have in, in, in Azure isn't secure. That does kind of get into larger organizations. I think for some of the smaller ones, um, the security pieces and the portals that you have there are a good first start as you grow. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. And I think that just kind of reaffirms the it's a journey, right? You mm -hmm. can't, uh, yes. don't bite off everything in one bite. You got to kind of piecemeal this and just take snack size bites till you get to the end. I think that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, you know what? I think I think this is one of those topics where we could just we can keep talking all day, but I know that we've all got things to get on with as well. So, Steve, thank you very much for finally coming on the show, <laughs> even though yeah. even though this wasn't uh, you know the delay hasn't necessarily been on on on, on anyone's mm -hmm. side. But I'm glad we managed to finally get this pulled, pulled together. Absolutely. Um, we always like to kind of ask as we as we uh, sort of close off: Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, any resources you think that are super important that you know? Uh, viewers and listeners need to go and kind of check out and, and how do you want to be found uh, social media things like that well I, you, you got my twitter handle up there um it's not as professional as either of your guys's twitter handles so <laughs> so you got my twitter handle up there you can get me there um you know and at this point in time there's you know it's not anything i work for microsoft so i i think i'm i've i've been plugging microsoft for for probably the last you know hour and 20 minutes um and and i'm a firm believer in that so uh if it's not microsoft these these paper sculptures here uh paper paper craft world they're fantastic that's been my uh like <laughs> my, my, my COVID hobby is is nice. uh, holding paper keeping uh, <laughs> keeping keeping my hands busy so yeah, fair. That's amazing. <laughs> I was wondering about those. Actually, I did see them back there. So I was like, "What? Yeah. What is that?" Interesting. Yes. If, you know, it's a pity you don't have. Ba if if Warren was here and you had Batman somewhere, he'd be Batman. <laughs> well, Superman. I forget. I forget. Um, anyway, thank you once again for your time. Man, really appreciate it. This was a great conversation, and we'll just have to kind of pick up where we left off. I think uh, you know, in another episode. Mm. I mean, yeah. I'm ho hopefully. Uh, I'm hopefully. I. I uh, I am fun enough to talk to, and you guys want to have me back. I, I, I hope so. Uh, if not, uh, Chris, Chris, you'll tell me later that uh, man, I was just rubbish. So, no, no nah. question there, Steve. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to be here.
Cool. Well, thanks. Awesome. <laughs> thanks all. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.